It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm delighted today to be joined by Tish Hamilton. Hello, Tish. Hi, Sarah. I'm delighted to be here today. Oh, good. Good. Are you still on a high from the New York City Marathon? Well, I would say my legs are probably still recovering a little bit from the New York City Marathon. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's been a couple of weeks and, uh, you know, it, it takes a little bit longer and longer each year to recover from it. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so this was marathon number what and New York City Marathon number what, 11? I do know it was my 11th New York City Marathon okay. and I have to check the records to see where I am in terms of overall. Mm. So, you know, New York is always exciting, right? It's always exciting to see the number of international athletes that come Mm. and it's, you know, people from all over the world and they're so excited and it's just Mm -hmm. very infectious and all the crowds along the uh, along the route, they were like they were back in full force this year, like Mm. pre-pandemic, you know. Mm. Mm-hmm. So many people. And part of the reason there were so many people was because it was quite warm. Yes, it was quite <laughs> spectating weather. <laughs> very, very good spectating weather. 75 degrees, the warmest oh. it's been since 1984. Mm. When they moved it from October to November because mm. it was too warm in, in October. So now yeah. I, I've got my one person petition to move it to December. December. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> When's that happening? Because <laughs> it's too warm in November. And, you know, the other thing about New York is that it's so hilly. It's so hilly, especially in the back half, you know. And mm-hmm. I was training and living now in Savannah, Georgia, which is like the biggest hill is from zero feet to 33 feet. Oh, <laughs> you can repeat that all day and it's still not a hill, right? <laughs> Oh, goodness. Oh, my gosh. I I found that pretty challenging. Yeah, you have to ask people where the hill that people are speaking about is. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh, gosh. But you got to see your newly launched daughter, your freshman. And and that was part of the reason that it was super exciting to go because Mm -hmm. she is in college in New York City. And so, you know, I I got to go visit with her and and have meals with her. And Mm -hmm. and she came out on the course with my boyfriend who came up also. And and they have a routine. You know, this is the 11th time I've done it. So they know know the routine of where to go and Brooklyn and First Mm -hmm. Avenue and then Central Park. And Mm -hmm. and that's, you know, always a thrill, right? It's like, you know where you're going to see them. And especially, Mm -hmm. boy, especially on First Avenue because I was suffering and Mm. i was like i really need to see my people (laughs) (laughs) and do you always because i mean i i have had so it was you know it's been uh i haven't run new york since 99 so when it's going to be a much bigger race since then but still i had very specific instructions back then for where i wanted people to be and which side of the street and all that what i was wearing and still i missed about half my pals 
Yes. So exactly what you said. I mean, we have very, very specific instructions. You, know, you stand on the <laughs> northwest corner of 90th and, and 1st Avenue, right? Mm-hmm. And then I start looking for them. And this is actually the first time, and they'll, they'll hate to hear me saying this out loud, but this is the first time they've ever missed me. Mm-hmm. And they did. They missed me in Brooklyn. Oh. And, uh, and we just said, you know, the number of participants was back to pre-pandemic levels. Yeah. There was, you know, close to 50,000 people. And it was just crowded. Mm-hmm. It was just crowded. They missed me. I missed them. That mm-hmm. was kind of a bummer. But but at least I got them on First Avenue, which was really clutch. <laughs> because yes. that was like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm at mile 18. I'm already beginning to suffer. And there are all these hills. Oh, yeah. I don't like hills. <laughs> and I don't like hot. <laughs> For me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And unlike that Boston that, that we were supposed to both run when I decided that I had to do it since I'd flown cross country. And you're like, eh, I get to come here every year on work. I'm just going to skip it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, that, I mean, that's definitely true. I, I've had those thoughts before this one. Like, I know it's going to be hot. I know I don't do well in heat, mm-hmm. but you know, I had paid to fly up and yeah. for, you know, thousand bucks for the hotel room. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Yeah. Who knows yeah. What, if I'll do this again next year. So I'm just going to suffer through it. Exactly. You weren't just coming across from New Jersey. You're like, oh, I, I came a right. long way. I got to do this thing. Right, right. It's not my hometown marathon anymore. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Oh, my goodness. Well, but speaking of kids in college, I know that you have two getting ready to uh, look at schools and, mm-hmm. and you've, you've been doing some college prep with your kids, right? I have been. I just got back from Dallas, Texas with my son, John where he took part in a unified style audition for various musical theater BFA programs, which means that rather than going here, there, and everywhere to audition one-off at colleges, the colleges send representatives, and then all the kids go to that one hotel, and then they either have pre-screened, meaning send in videos of them doing monologues or songs or dance or whatever it is, and then going into a room and having a one-on-one, or there's sometimes several college representatives in the room from the same school, and then doing the 60-second or 90-second auditions. Oh, that's really cool. So, mm-hmm. so does he? Did he have like a list of ones that he wanted to target, mm-hmm. especially? Mm-hmm. Yes. So it was fairly. It was incredibly organized. I shouldn't say fairly. It was very organized. And so ahead of time, he indicated interest in which schools he wanted to audition for. There was maybe two or three where he had to be pre-screened via video, and then they'd say, "Yes, we'll see you." No, we won't see you. And so unfortunately, Pace said, no, they didn't want to see him. So that that was a bummer. But I'm speaking of New York City. And so then, yes, so he had he had nine lined up, but then two of the schools ended up not attending at all for various reasons. And so he was down to seven. And then they had so those were either singing and acting or just one of those disciplines. But then for the dance the, they had a dance call. So on the second night of this unified thing, which are called Moonifieds, they went in groups of six alphabetically and they all had to learn this routine that was, they had a video that dropped in mid-August. So they had a lot of time to memorize it. And then they went in groups of six and performed it twice. Uh, there were two rows of three and one time you'd be in the back row and then they would switch lines. And so that then if you were in the back, you'd be in the front and vice versa. And so that was definitely his time to shine and shine. He did indeed. He was really, really hopped up after the dance call. 
and just felt like he got a lot of attention. And he most definitely did because two, two schools that he had not signed up for auditions with asked the organizers to reach out to him and say, hey, that kid with the navy blue top on, we want him to come audition for us. Oh, cool. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big ego boost because, oh my gosh, these kids, the singing. I mean, John is a a lovely singer, but that's not something he's been working on for, you know, years and years and years like these other kids have. And because we were all staying in the same hotel, you could hear a lot of kids warming up in the Uh hotel rooms. Uh Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Wow. Mind blowing. And then I guess, you know, parents were not allowed. Oh, this is very funny. Parents were not allowed on the second floor. And so that, but kids would sit out because that's where all the auditions took place and they would sit outside and so that he could hear them singing. That's not the funny part. The funny part is that the hotel gym was also on the second floor. And so I knew the rules and I'm a big rule follower to, you know, it said parents are not allowed on the second floor. I'm like, "Mm, I got to get my workout in. So... Um, I got up, even though it was two hours earlier for me, I got up and was in the gym, I don't know, by like 645 or something. And I knew things weren't starting until eight o'clock on that floor. I'm like, the rule doesn't apply. So right. then ended up talking and there were, but there were only dads in the hotel gym when I was working out. Oh, and one girl practicing her dance routine. And so but then I was in the elevator one time and somebody said something like, oh, what do you mean the gym? And the woman was like, oh, the workout room. And the woman was like, we're not allowed on there. It's on the second floor. I'm like, if you go early enough, it doesn't matter. She's like, no, they say no parents on the second floor. I'm like, there's no police on the second floor. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so people are taking the rules very seriously. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, wow, I guess I'm like junior varsity rule follower compared to these varsity people. (laughs) Well, I was going to ask you if you got to see. So you don't get to see. You don't get to watch or... You don't get or, to watch, no. Yeah. So thankfully they do, though, um, have an Instagram account. So I was able to see little snippets. John was in... They put together kind of a montage of the uh-huh. of the dance call, and John was in two clips of it. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's my boy doing his that's, thing. That's really cool. It was really, really cool. And, and you asked me if I got to see... I thought maybe we were going to see any of Dallas, because it was my first time in Dallas. And I went to the Sixth Floor Museum, which is in the book depository where Lee Harvey Oswald allegedly shot JFK. That's what they right. say at the museum itself. <laughs> uh, like, okay, uh, Oliver Stone. And then, uh, but then, so other than that, we didn't get to downtown Dallas because the hotel was kind of away from downtown Dallas, but it was near the most gorgeous neighborhood. Oh my gosh, I went out for two walks and it's, I guess it's um, called University Park and the homes were just stunning, just large, large houses on these gorgeous lawns with amazing either. It was very funny because of the time of year. It was either they still had their Halloween kind of autumnal decorations out or they had their Christmas holiday lights out already. And um, oh, it was just beautiful, just stunning to walk around there. Isn't that so fun when you get to you know mm-hmm. just land in a place and then go for a walk or run and and discover mm. some place that's like oh. you would not have gone to otherwise? Exactly, and also the the hotel. I mean, it was a hotel, and there were shops and restaurants nearby. So to me, it seemed like a real commerce area. And I'm like, oh, but it kind of looks like it gets quieter up that way. I'll just see what's that way, and it just quickly commerce petered out. It was just 
amazing residential area and there were, you know, tennis courts and schools and parks and ponds and all. And I'm just like, wow. And it was really big. So I'm like, I hit the jackpot off the place to go walking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you said um, tennis courts, but what about oh, a pickleball? Wasted opportunity. Thank you for <laughs> asking. Oh, my gosh. I saw four <laughs> tennis courts and they didn't even have lines on them to delineate pickleball. I'm just like, huh? people, come on, let's get on it. Uh, I did, however, I was when I was in uh, the Bay Area right before going to Dallas, when I recorded last week's episode at Goo Headquarters with Allison Desir, I went for a walk or two and encountered several pickleball courts. So they, they know how to do it in the Bay Area. Yeah, they're kind of progressive there. Yes, yes. <laughs> they're traditionalists in Dallas. So. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Well, let's get on to the show today. Our guests are two women runners who work in run specialty stores, including one gal who owns a running store. We're going to talk to them about running gear and gifts. I figure it's kind of the right time of year. And it's you know basically insight into how gear can help you be comfortable, safe, and hopefully sidestep injury, plus some clever gift suggestions for the runner in your life. Our first guest is Diane Lechner, a longtime ultra marathoner and mother of two. Diane started working at my favorite local running store, Foot Traffic, here in Portland about three and a half years ago. Diane is now manager of the Northeast Portland store, the one closest to me. And in addition, Diane coaches cross country and track at the same high school my younger daughter attends. Thanks for joining us from work. Nonetheless, Diane, how are you? I'm great this morning. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad to be talking to you. So I want to start by saying that you and I go way back, way back. You tested shoes and gear for me. I realized in the in the last century, uh, when, <laughs> when I wrote for like Shape, Runner's World, the New York Times, when I wrote for Tish at Runner's World. So uh, we're all related in some way. It's a small world. It is. It is. So, so Diane, tell us about your running background, please. Oh, golly. My running background. Um dabbled in running as a high schooler in track and cross country. I would say that I picked up running as an adult in my mid-30s as a lifestyle. Mm. Coincidentally or not, it was when my two kiddos were very young, toddlers and babies. I ran my first marathon, I think, when my son was 18 months old. So Mm. I would consider myself a later-to-life runner. Mm. And I've been enjoying it ever since. And I've grown and evolved and embraced coaching as part of what I do. Mm-hmm. And working at Foot Traffic as well, Diane. So tell us about how you started working there and what your responsibilities are. Yeah. So um, I've been with Foot Traffic for about three and a half years. And I manage the flagship Northeast store here in Portland. And I coach and direct several programs, the two youth programs for foot traffic, as well as the women's adult running program. Mm -hmm. And I love it. Nice. And what's your responsibility in terms of like ordering gear, keeping, you know, kind of making suggestions for what comes into the store? Do you play a role in that? I am not a buyer. Mm, Okay. All right. Okay. The coaching and store management keeps my plate pretty full. (laughs) But that said, the buyer does involve managers and employees when considering new decisions, which is Mm -hmm. great. We do get input. Nice, 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 nice. So do you see yourself serving as a de facto role model or mentor to the runners who come into your store or maybe those women in the Women's Running Academy? And if so, how do you strive to fulfill that role? That is a great question. Yes. 
when I'm helping somebody, I take care not just to tell them about what I use or what works for me, but to explain the depth and breadth of options that are available, whether it's shoes or water bottles, any of the apparel, Mm -hmm. and kind of talk about when it's appropriate to use one thing over another and not let personal bias Mm. kind of color what the recommendations are. Mm. So in terms of being a role model, yes, in that regard, I think just objectivity is what forces us to be role models and say in helping people look inward and decide what's best for them. Hmm. So Diane, did you say earlier that you, you coach women runners specifically? Yeah, I coach Women's Academy. Okay. Here at foot traffic, and we are 130 women strong. We are currently getting trained up for the holiday half, which mm-hmm. takes place here in Portland in just a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So, I'm so curious. Do you do you feel like women runners are ever hesitant or or nervous shopping in your store? I will say that all kinds of people, including women can feel hesitancy when walking into our store, especially if they're coming in for the first time. We take care as employees and people who interact with the people who cross our threshold to make sure that everybody does feel welcome. Probably women in particular have a little more sense of hesitation. A lot of people feel that either they aren't runners, so maybe they don't belong, or they don't run enough to consider themselves runners, or they don't run fast enough. And we work extra hard to make sure that those people understand that simply the fact that they are here and that they want to do this thing, whatever it is they want to do, getting out and walking in the neighborhoods, staying active, using their bodies, That in and of itself makes them an athlete and they are worthy to come in and address whatever needs they have to help them show up for themselves every day. Mm, Well put. So kind of keeping that thread of people feeling welcome and, you know, like an athlete. Alas, you and I both know, Diane, that Portland is an overwhelmingly white city. Mm -hmm. So what does your store do to make women or runners of color feel more comfortable and welcome? I am not a person of color. Mm -hmm. And as such, the learning opportunities and the importance of staying open to new ways of learning Mm -hmm. how to embrace and make way for people of color is something that we need to constantly stay abreast of. I will say one of the things that I love most about working for foot traffic is its selfless entrenchment in the community. The youth program strives to put fun and accessibility above all else. And I currently have 65 kids showing up Tuesdays and Thursday afternoons at a park in Northeast Portland, ranging from the ages of 6 to 12. And a lot of them are kiddos that might not be running otherwise. And just the grassroots approaches because I think that running also tends to not necessarily be an activity among those of color. We're trying to broaden that horizon and, you know, cast a wider net and bring more people into the fold so that they feel like they belong going through the ages and stages of growth and adulthood. 
Mm -hmm. Do you do any sort of outreach to their parents so that hopefully while you're engendering a love of running or an interest in running, at least in their kids, do you ever think like, oh, well, their parents might benefit, you know, if they knew what we offered or, you know, if we made them feel welcome in our stores or any of that? Absolutely. We talk about Women's Academy which is the group that I coach, mm-hmm. and Foot Traffic University to everybody who will listen to us. <laughs> I mean, we're very passionate about our training groups. I am extremely passionate about Women's Academy. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. And I want to give a shout out. One of our Bammer Bastards, Brooke Thames, is a coach in that program. So, and I know, or a mentor, I know it means a lot to her, that program. Yeah, she's, um, she's an amazing role model herself. She is. She most certainly is, yeah. So, Diane, you mentioned earlier listening to yourself, listening, letting runners listen to themselves, to their bodies, and coming in and finding things that are right for them in the store. And and I'm curious about the shoe fitting process. Okay, so this actually happened to me recently where I went to a shoe. I love going to my local shoe store, by the way. I, I live in Savannah, <laughs> Georgia, and, and mm-hmm. I love going in and, and hearing what they recommend for me. But our local guy, Jason, he's like, oh, well, you're a heavy heel striker. And I'm like, well, no, I'm not. <laughs> Um, but but of course he was right (laughs) so i'm I'm curious about like where that line is between like listening to yourself versus being open to suggestions from a professional right a shoe fitting professional so how do like how do you get them to trust what you've got to say Mm, i have so much to say about this (laughs) um so please feel free to cut me off Part of it is that prior to working at a run specialty store, I'm a longtime coach. My roots are in marathon coaching, and I am trained as a personal trainer, and I use a lot of the elements that I've learned when I interact with people. That said, biomechanics is very complex. When somebody is having a shoe fitting in a run specialty store, We do the best we can with the tools we have at our disposal, and it's typically the power of observation. And we will watch to see, for example, if a person pronates. Pronation is a term that's used to describe kind of the inward tipping of the ankle joints. And the belief is that if the joints are optimally stacked, you can avoid a little bit of wear and tear and hopefully stave off injury and trips to the physical therapist. Is there a gray area in terms of whether a person does or does not need a corrective element? Mm. You have neutral shoes and you have shoes with a corrective element for pronation. There are people who are kind of on the cusp And it really matters ultimately how they feel and what they think when they're wearing a shoe. Listening to their feedback while they're moving in a shoe is very important. And if somebody says that, you know, they're feeling any number of sensations that suggest that their joints don't feel safe, I would never recommend that a walker or a runner go with a shoe that that detracts from the natural feeling of their movement. So the heel strike, tons of people heel strike. They're, you know, far worse crimes. (laughs) Pronation is super common. It's not always essential to correct everything to 100%. Mm. We just want to do our best to make sure a person is optimally supported. Mm. Mm. So, Diane, you mentioned walkers in that answer. 
what percentage of your customers are walkers? And have you seen a change in that over the years? Golly, if I were just kind of guessing, I would Mm -hmm. bet at least 50% of our customers are probably walkers Mm. or lifestyle shoe wearers. Mm -hmm. I think that part of that is because foot traffic does a really good job of striving for a feeling of inclusivity. We took sort of like the the running man logo Mm -hmm. out of our profile a number of years ago and replaced it with a friendly, more approachable Sasquatch. (laughs) (laughs) And it's in our, it's in our tagline that, you know, we're Portland's running and walking store. So Mm -hmm. we do attract a number, a number of walkers, neighborhood walkers. Our stores are located in neighborhoods. So a ton of people Mm -hmm. stop in just walking by as well. Mm -hmm. And do you suspect that's true of a lot of quote unquote running stores that they, you know, so that if people who are listening, I'm thinking if they like me right now, I'm walking instead of running because of my injury or, you know, people who are walking and that that's who they define themselves as. Mm -hmm. You know, are running stores, do you see them as overall welcoming places for walkers? I don't know. That's a good question. Mm -hmm. So I traveled to do a race recently. Mm -hmm. And of course, I went into the local running store (laughs) and had some great candid conversations with the person who Mm -hmm. expressed frustration at having some walkers come in Mm. Because clearly their store had the word running store mm-hmm. in the title. And I was appalled. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I expressed, I'm like, wow, that's really, you know, it's surprising that you would feel that way. But I was just kind of like, okay, well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it helped me feel that much better about where I come from mm-hmm. and the store where I work. Because mm-hmm. we see anybody who wants to use their body and expects their body to show up for their movement that defines an athlete. Mm-hmm. Nice. 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 Yeah. Nice. Right on. I'm just going to jump in and say that's completely insane on their parts because they, you know, I mean, they need business, right. And, mm-hmm. and people walk and that's a really good thing. They should be encouraging everybody to move. 100%. So 100%. <laughs> yeah. I mean, authenticity and not setting boundaries or barriers. That's the name of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. All right. We will talk more about gear, including winter weather recommendations after this brief break. Please stay with us. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Okay, given that it's almost December, let's talk winter gear for a few. I realize, Diane, that, you know, our winter here is um, mild, <laughs> milder than in a lot of parts of the country, but it's also cooler than, than the, you know, our, our neighbors to the south. Mm-hmm. So do, do you have any glove, mitten, cold weather gear recommendations? I do. In fact, I'm a glove geek and I have tried, I think, everything there is to try. And just let me say, growing up in Ohio before there were technical gloves and I ran cross country for high school, we wore socks on our hands. So there you go. So my favorite, just in terms of style and description, 
I love gloves because I like having just the autonomy of being able to articulate with my fingers, Mm -hmm. but also find that on the coldest and windiest days, that sometimes the gloves aren't enough and they need a little something extra. So the really cool thing is that there are, I call them glittens Mm -hmm. because they're part gloves and part mittens Mm -hmm. and the hand slips into a glove and then has a little wind layer or a windshield Mm -hmm. that goes Mm -hmm. over the gloves and blocks and insulates. So if you need a little bit of extra warmth, you can cover the hand a little bit more. And if you don't, you can tuck it away Mm -hmm. and it's super lightweight. The one that we're carrying right now at Foot Traffic is uh, the Saucony Solstice Convertible Mitt. I wore Saucony Convertible Mitts this morning <gasps> on my walk. Yes. Oh, yeah. aren't they? They're just, they're wonderful. I have because... two pairs of them. They're fabulous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. It's just, it's a glove and a mitten for all seasons. Mm-hmm. And it's wicking. So when your hand does heat up, the moisture isn't going to, you know, kind of pool up in your palms. It evaporates <laughs> and things still stay warm and dry. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have to say that's one of my favorites. Yeah. 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 And and how about ice spikes or traction devices for running shoes? I mean, I, I we don't, like I said, we don't get a lot of snow here, but man, when, when we have ice or freezing rain, they yeah. are lifesavers, literal lifesavers. For sure. The brand that I have personal experience with and we carry here, it's Yak Tracks. Mm-hmm. And they're super lightweight, very easy to fit over the shoes. And they will allow you to be able to get out and walk or run in conditions that would otherwise be insurmountable. Mm-hmm. I know we had a snowmageddon day once here in Portland. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it had to have been all of three or four inches, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> but it might have had freezing rain on top of it. You know, come on. It probably did. Mm-hmm. And I went out in a pair of yak tracks and people were literally using poles and benches, you know, to kind of get from one Mm -hmm. patch to another. Mm -hmm. And here I go trotting along in yak tracks and people were looking at me like I was a superhero. Like, (laughs) how can she stay vertical? (laughs) It was very empowering. So, yeah, they're awesome. You just have to make sure that when you wear them, there is enough ice and snow underfoot because you don't want them clacking on concrete. Mm. That would be super uncomfortable and potentially unstable. Mm-hmm. Right. And not to mention, not good for the yak tracks themselves. Well, yeah, <laughs> not good for the yak tracks. Mm-hmm. So Diane, you've been at foot traffic for a few years and yep. you, you see everything that comes into the store. So I'm wondering if there's something that you have discovered while working there that's now a must have for you in your own running. I would say, gosh, I feel like I came to this position having already tested so many things. But a few things that have entered my world. So I think that it's not always just about training smarter. Well, it's not always just about running smarter. It's also about recovering Mm. smarter. And the more miles we have on our bodies, the more important it is to turn our heads to recovery and make sure we're doing all the things as well as possible. That said, sometimes the foam roller and the stick massage tool, they're not going to get it all. Theragun is actually a pretty cool thing. Mm. Percussive therapy, and I know there are other brands out there. Theragun is just the one that rolls off of my tongue. Theragun can get at muscles in ways that the other guys can't. So Mm. it's unique. It's specific. It's great for the large muscle groups, and it can get into some nooks and crannies in the hips that other places can't reach. Mm. 
So I would say Theragun mm. and uh, sunglasses mm. is another one. Mm-hmm. Gooder. Gooders mm-hmm. are fun and they're addictive. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely are. Yes, yes. So uh, maybe your answer is going to be a pair, a new pair of Gooder glasses in a new color. But are there any nifty new gear items that you're personally hoping will, uh, you know, appear in your stocking <laughs> or wrapped up with a bow this holiday season? Oh, yes. Gosh, I hope Santa's listening. Um, because, <laughs> yeah, um, it would be a very deluxe stocking stuffer, probably more worthy of showing up under the tree. But the Aftershocks headphones, the open runs are what we have right now. They're bone conduction. And as a coach, I'm constantly extolling the virtues of safe running and the importance of being aware when you're out running. And that said, I do also enjoy music. Mm-hmm. So being able to hear ambient sounds while also enjoying music is a really good way to go. Mm-hmm. So the open run headphones allow you to have very good sound with your music, but also hear speaking and cars and bicycles pretty mm-hmm. flawlessly. Mm-hmm. So. Yes. yes, that's actually what I'm asking Santa for. Very good. Well, I totally support that choice. I'm a huge fan of of my aftershocks, and I have been for a bunch of years. So they and they cool. work great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, great talking with you, Diane. And great talking to you. I I know you have a busy month or so ahead of you, uh, helping people find stuff. So uh, thanks for taking time for us. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I'll see you in the store sometime. Bye. <laughs> bye. Bye. Our next guest is Allison Bowersock. Allison is the owner of Runabout Sports in Roanoke, Virginia. She's also the mother of two young school-age kids and a marathon runner. And I know that Allison just ran a strong 8K race. Welcome to the show, Allison. Thanks so much for having me. So, Allison, tell us about your running background. So, I am what some would consider, I think, a late bloomer for competitive running I played soccer, volleyball, lacrosse, lots of ball-oriented team sports growing up, and running was a punishment, (laughs) Um, as I'm sure many have experienced. So I came to running in grad school. So after college, after I played collegiate soccer, not having a coach was foreign to me because I had always had someone telling me what type of workout to do, when, where. I had a built-in social system and reinforcement, and anyway, so... By the time I got to grad school and did not have that structure, I started gaining some weight and uh, the late nights and lots of pizza and maybe some parties every (laughs) once in a while started to catch up with me. And so one of my classmates said, hey, you should train for this half marathon with me. And I said, what? That sounds awful. I don't want to run 13 (laughs) miles. Why would you do that? So That was my foray into running was 2007, my first half marathon. And then the next year I did the same race. So that was Shamrock in Virginia Beach. I did the half Mm. and then the full. And after the full, I said, and my husband has this in writing somewhere, I will never do this again. Mm. (laughs) And he put that quote on my road ID and I've done 10 marathons since. Famous last words. Yes. Yes. I like your husband's sense of humor. That's fabulous. <laughs> so mentioning that 10th marathon, uh, you and I connected when I was looking for guests for the big birthday related races a couple, I think that was last month that we did that. So I know you ran your 10th marathon on October 10th, otherwise known as 1010 for your 40th birthday. So tell us how that all shaped up. Yes. So it was a Monday in case anyone was wondering what's happening on October 10th on this Monday. So 
I'm very fortunate that the running community who I support through the store came and turned the tables on for me to support Mm -hmm. my virtual run. So I had actually one of our runners who lives now in Richmond, which is about three hours from here. She drove to Roanoke to support me on her bike. So I had Mm. a bike crew. I had water stations with costumes and a really amazing finish line with champagne and cake. And it was amazing. And I lucked out big time with the weather. So in terms of, you know, slogging through the miles, that was still very challenging, but I had tons of support and it was an epic way to turn 40. Mm, That is so fun. I love that. Mm -hmm. That's that's really a cool way to celebrate. So also uh, curious about, so you, you mentioned you were in grad school. So how do you go from being in grad school, getting your advanced degrees, getting a PhD, and coming to running kind of sort of a little bit later in life to actually owning a running store called Runabout Sports? Yes. So this is a fun story. So my husband is a physical therapist, and I am an exercise physiologist by trade. We had the opportunity to purchase a commercial building for his practice. He now has three practices in the um, in Southwest Virginia. So when we purchased the building for his space, it was too large at the time for just the PT practice. And we thought, well, what would fit well, literally, with supporting physical therapy? And we felt like Roanoke in general has done a tremendous job promoting the outdoors, outdoor recreation, physical activity, destination races, you name it, all types of living outdoor amenities for people to live in Southwest Virginia. So there's a lot of growth for people moving here, coming to school here. And we thought Roanoke could support more retail for run specialty. And so we reached out to James DeMarco, who is actually the owner of the brand Runabout Sports, which is based in Blacksburg, Virginia. They've been open since 2003. We reached out to him and he was interested in partnering. So we partnered with him to open the Roanoke location. And that's how Runabout Roanoke came to be. Nice, nice. Very cool. So we were talking with an earlier guest about how some people can feel intimidated by running stores, like they feel like they're not air quotes, real runners. And so they're a little bit, you know, I don't know, like they don't measure up and it makes them a little hesitant just to step inside even to a running store. So I'm curious if you feel like the fact that you're you are a woman helps people helps women runners specifically feel more at ease coming in the door. Sure. And we are, I guess, have the unfortunate circumstance of having run in the name of our store. So we certainly do get plenty of people who come in and say, I'm not a runner, but Mm, well, I know this is a running store, but, and that, that happens probably daily, but I would say it's hard to estimate from a bird's eye view. I would say the majority of our customers are not runners, quote unquote runners, but, but at the same time, Plenty of people who are runners don't consider themselves runners. Mm -hmm. Um, So just because you can't run a certain timed 5K doesn't mean you're not a runner. And everyone is an athlete in some form if you are moving your body. So with my background and my husband's background, that's partially why we're so passionate about what we do at Runabout is because that is our message as healthcare professionals. Like, okay, maybe you're not you know, running a sub 30 minute 5k, but you're walking your dog every day, you're hiking, you're gardening, or you want to do those things. How can we help you get there? And just because 
you're not doing the same thing as your neighbor doesn't mean you're any less capable or you're any less have any less potential. And I, I think that's really where I really strive to make the biggest change with our community is showing how much potential you have, whether you see it or not. I see it because you have a body and maybe mm-hmm. you, you've never seen yourself in that light. But from a physiological perspective, everyone has that potential. No matter who your parents are, no matter where you live, what your income is, what your job is, you have some things that are predetermined that you can't change. But there are a lot of modifiable things you can change that can make a significant difference. Mm. Uh, Yeah. And isn't it funny and not funny, haha, but like how people can say, oh, well, I ran a 5K, I ran a 10K, but I'm not a real runner. You know, that's it's a little it's a little sad. It's frustrating. Mm hmm. I'm wondering how you, as a, as a shoe store owner, like how do you be pace inclusive? How do you be size inclusive? Like how do you put that into action? So that's certainly something that we're always trying to improve. I think some of it is the name and, you know, running in the name can be problematic, but also too, just thinking about sports bras or thinking about general sizing of apparel that you would wear Running in the cold, walking in the cold, you know, it should be relatively easy to find the tools for every person, every body, every physical body to want to move their bodies in any temperature in any weather. And so if it's difficult for me as a business to find those tools for you, that's a problem. And if, if I could wave my magic wand, I would say, of course, we need to have X number of sizes X number of styles, these materials, you know, changing things overnight. So, I mean, the whole thing is making it easier for people to want to move. So why would you put that barrier there of, I can't find the sports bra size that I need for this customer, or it's out of stock because only one brand makes it like that's unacceptable. Mm-hmm. So a hundred percent trying to always find new brands new connections of people who are willing to think outside the box to solve those problems so that it is easier for people who who are ready to make a healthy lifestyle change, for sure. And I, I definitely got on a tangent with my previous comment, but um, in terms of a woman, my biggest thing is talking about how balance, I mean, work-life balance is sort of cliche, but fitting in something every day, you know, you may not have the two hours that you want to do a long run or a long walk, but 30 minutes is great. So whatever you can do, whether that's 10 minutes Mm -hmm. or 10 hours, if you're training for an ultra, you know, it just depends on what you Mm -hmm. have access to, but something is better than nothing. And Mm -hmm. and conveying that message is, is very important as a healthcare person, not just a retailer, but having a background in healthcare, sharing that message that something is better than nothing is, is true, but it's also very important. Mm-hmm. Yes, completely 100% agree with that. Yeah. And so that leads right up into our next question, which came from a woman on our Facebook page. And it, and it both saddened and, and I have to say, cracked me up because of her wording. So she wants to know about bras for big tatas. She wants to know what can replace her Brooks slash moving comfort Fiona. And, and she wrote, I've tried many others as the Fiona is discontinued and nothing holds them in place, them meaning her breasts, in place without being a straight jacket. And she said, I'm looking at you, she fit. Right now, if my house burned down and my bras went with it, I would just have to stop running forever. Meaning that if her Fiona bra went up in flames, she just can't find the support to replace it. Do you have any suggestions for her? Sure. So we get that comment a lot as well. 
not specifically the brands that you mentioned, but just in general. And as I mentioned, just having some readily available product to go to. But I would say there are people scouring the internet for those old, older model bras because they were Mm -hmm. so awesome. So the Brooks Dare Racerback Run Bra 2.0 is usually what we go to for our customers who are looking for more support. The Under Armour also makes the Infinity High sports bra. We've had some success with that. So toggling between the two. And I will say some brands like Wazelle is doing a better job of having more inclusive sizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's happening, but not fast enough. So those are the two options that we go towards, but there definitely should be more choices. Mm-hmm. Do you find it hard? I mean, you know, you have limited space in your store. You don't want to have a huge output of cash on inventory that might languish on the shelves and, and hangers. So, I mean, how do you make decisions about how big a size range to bring in? You mentioned Wazel. I know they go up to, I think it's 24, 26, maybe it's 22, 24. But I know that in our um, modest online store, we carry t-shirts, lifestyle tees in 3X and 4X. A lot, a lot of times those just sit and sit and sit. I think because people don't know to look for them or they think, oh, another mother runner, they're not going to have anything for me. So how do you make decisions to bring in if a brand carries zero to t- size 24? How do you, you know, know not to just bring in the, you know, six through 12s? So I'm blessed to have an easy answer to that, which is my team reflects the diversity of sizes that mm. we are hoping to show people. Yes, you can do this. Mm-hmm. Not that we actively recruit people of certain backgrounds and sizes, but we've been really blessed to have people who use these products, who need the larger sizes or need a more diverse array of materials or whatever it is. And so all of the products we stock are the ones that our staff use and can verify, mm-hmm. yes, this is what I use. Um, in fact, our manager is the one who who helped provide me with the feedback for thinking about what bras to bring in because I could really wear no sports bras. Like (laughs) I I certainly won't complain, but um, I have to custom order my regular bras because I'm a double A and I tell people when I'm fitting them, like I want to make sure that you have what you need because I really empathize. Like I could just basically run out the door and be completely fine. And that's (laughs) (laughs) so other end of the spectrum. Yeah, so we we bring in, we certainly do experiment a little bit, but for the most part, we only bring in things that our staff use and can speak to the efficacy of. Mm-hmm. So women runners obviously need a good sports bra, right? That's that's really critical. And obviously a good pair of running shoes that fit well and that work with their biomechanics. But beyond those two pieces of gear, what do you think are the most worth splurging on? I, definitely socks. It's not necessarily a splurge in comparison to shoes and sports bras, but I think that's kind of the underlooked unsung hero, so to speak. As runners, you guys understand, if you have a cotton pair of socks during a run, it can make or break your experience. So certainly a good pair of socks, several mm-hmm. of them, is worth the investment. And they should last a long time, so there's some return there. And I would say... Having access to a space where you can safely run and walk. So we we live in a very rural area. So a lot of people do not have wide side, you know, sidewalks to run on. It's not very walkable or runnable. You can walk a run in your neighborhood, but that there's some investment there in terms of 
having access to a gym or having a treadmill or, you know, those are things we don't sell, but in terms of the whole picture, that is still Mm -hmm. part of the piece. And so whether that's paying for race entries, paying for a gym membership, having access to a treadmill, all those things is very important. And where we live, you certainly do tend to need to make those investments, but good shoes, good socks, sports bra and wicking clothing is something that should again, last your lifetime. And, you know, hat, sunglasses, visor. I mean, you can bling out as much as you want. But in reality, I'm probably not a great salesperson for our store because you really don't need a lot of stuff. Like you can get away with a good pair of shoes, a good sports bra, wicking clothing, a good pair of socks. And that that will take you a long way. Well, what about for you? You're a marathon runner. Like, What are some of your like must have pieces of gear? Lots of different types of shoes. So that's where I would invest my money is having not just one pair that you wear all the time, but to have your, Mm. you know, high drop shoe when your legs are feeling a little sloggy. I have your, you know, zero drop. You've got like a four or five millimeter, lots of different options for how your gait is translating based on your recovery, based on your mileage, where you're running, like elevation gain, a trail shoe, so I would say it's not necessarily the expense of the product itself, but investing in multiple pairs at once does increase the longevity of all of those pairs. And so it is a higher upfront cost. But for me, that's critical is, is having at least three that you can rotate and pick out like a menu based on how you're feeling and what your workout is that day. So and you're talking about like three different completely different kinds, not just like, you know, three different of the same type of brand, yeah, but like a, a blue pair a diff- and a red pair. Yeah. <laughs> right. 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 Correct. Yeah. yeah. You know, my go-tos. So I have Brooks Glycerin. I have an Ultra Escalante. I've got a Saucony Endorphin Speed. Speed. I have my carbon fibers for racing. I've got a trail shoe. And of course, as you know, run specialty, Sometimes we get these for free. And so it's not to say that you need to invest $1,000 up front in six pairs of different running shoes. But Mm -hmm. I I do think at least having two that you alternate or like in a lot of the cases, as I mentioned, a lot of our customers aren't runners. One of the largest employers in our region is healthcare. So working at the hospital, a lot of Mm -hmm. people will wear their hokas, for example, working their 12-hour shift and then... God bless them. After they finish their shift, they go run their run after their shift. And so they've worn those shoes for 15 hours straight. You can't (laughs) expect them to last six months. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. um, there is an investment piece there. And we've, I think, done an effective job of showing people. And I, I think I've just showed this to myself that I'm not just trying to sell you stuff to sell you stuff. It's to convince you, yes, if you're on concrete floors for 12 hours a day, you need to have another pair of shoes just for running or just for your workout so that you can save that material for when you need the responsiveness, when you need the support. And then when you're just standing or on your feet or doing surgery or whatever it is, those are for that purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm a big believer in divisions of, of things, you know, that if I go to Disneyland, I'm not going to wear my brand new running shoes all over the park because that's going to put in miles on them. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's sad, but true that so much shopping is now done online. And, you know, we understand it's it's super convenient, but the customer is missing out on that personal touch and the advice. 
you know, that store owners and managers that like yourself can offer to them. So what services does your store or other running stores offer for a person shopping there? Like, especially maybe ones that folks might not be aware of. Sure. So we pride ourselves in training our staff and myself included. We all chip in with providing a dynamic gate assessment. And mm. there, there's a little bit of, you know, for folks who don't usually run on a treadmill, there's a little asterisk there, like your gait will change a bit if you're not used mm. to running on a treadmill. So looking at your gait from the side, from the front, from the back, taking a slow motion video of that. Sometimes it's using the shoes you've been running in. Sometimes it's trying on the shoes you're considering purchasing. And mm -hmm. if there's a difference... Or, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen very often, but sometimes people will come in in their older shoes just to see if an injury or potential injury is a result of the shoes that they're wearing and they don't buy anything. And that's okay because, like I said, we didn't open the store necessarily for the retail purpose itself, but just to serve a need. And so mm -hmm. sometimes people come in and we're like, okay, go on your way, just you know, you need a little, you need a little bit more hamstring activation, or you need a little bit more mobility in your hips or, or something like that. So we do provide that gait assessment. And then usually that is coupled with some homework. So we have a little printout of exercises that we quote unquote prescribe for folks. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And it's a lot of the same stuff that you've probably seen. Like if you've ever had a hip or a knee injury, the PT practice will have you do, you know, mm -hmm. clamshells or walking lunges or hip hike or, or some, you know, it's not, mm -hmm. it's not anything groundbreaking, but just to say, Hey, the shoes are great and all, but ultimately it stems from the kinetic chain where your feet make contact with the ground. And so any shoe you wear is not going to change the fact that you had some high school knee injury on your left side and you never had PT for it. And so now you I don't know, excessively evert on this one side, like the shoe is not going to change that. Mm -hmm. biomechanics mm -hmm. change that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's so important for people to hear you saying things like that, because I think there's the thought of, well, if I walk into the store, I got to buy something, you know, and that to see a, your local running store as a resource and people who can help and inform you, I think that's, that's an important piece. Do you work on kind of getting that message out to the community? Uh, I could probably do a better job of it. And I guess some of that stems from, me, you know, I don't have a background in retail or business or anything really to do with the store. <laughs> um, so again, I'm very lucky that our manager has tons of retail experience and she helps offset all of my weaknesses. But I, I try to as much as I don't, I'm not comfortable saying, hey, I'm an expert in this. Come see us because I'm the expert. Like that makes me very uncomfortable. But at the same time, I do feel like we have a lot to offer the community. Mm -hmm. um, I'm actually getting ready to hire another person who has a background in biomechanics. And so, you know, part of it, too, is that there aren't a lot of jobs for people with my degree, mm -hmm. unless you want to go on to medical school or physical therapy or something like that. And so I like to teach as many people as possible, including our staff who for the most part are just working because they enjoy it and they mm -hmm. like working in retail um, even right now, which is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very blessed. They're, mm -hmm. they're eager to learn and they use it on themselves. And it's a really wonderful positive feedback loop because they learn, you know, oh, this really helps me. That's helped my running. It's helped my recovery. And then they talk to their friends about it. And, mm -hmm. and it's been really awesome. Hmm. 
Well, I hope that more people near Roanoke hear you talking because I think you sound like an amazing resource for for helping runners, whatever their gender. Well, thank you so much. And you mentioned gender. I will say, I think a lot of women are shocked to learn. And, you know, it's not necessarily anyone's fault, but they're shocked to learn that after childbirth, your gait does usually change. And there are some things you can do to help if you're having like chronic SI pain or chronic glute weakness, all those things can differ after you have children. We see it all the time. I experienced it myself. And I'm very lucky I'm married to a physical therapist. So anytime I go hiking, and I throw out my SI joint, he can just pop me right back in. Um, (laughs) But most people are not that lucky. So talking about how you can correct that on yourself, how you can look at if you're on a treadmill and you happen to be near a mirror, how you can watch your gait and change some of those things just so you have a more enjoyable experience is really important. Mm-hmm. That reminds me, I'm seeing my chiropractor this afternoon. So, <laughs> Oh, nice. Yeah. Note to self, have to remember that appointment. <laughs> so Allison, one last year question. Is there anything that you personally are hoping for in your stocking or wrapped up with a bow this holiday season? Um, I think in terms of items, like I said, more shoes can't hurt for sure. Um, (laughs) I'm a big believer in goal setting, though. So I like to invest my dollars in events and in races, just for fun, just to have things to do. I think running is a great, not excuse necessarily, but a reason to travel. So (laughs) meeting new people, looking to other running store, I love connecting with other local running and walking stores and learning from them. And so Mm -hmm. when I travel, I try to find those people and reach out to them in advance and say, hey, I'm going to this conference or I'm going to this trade show, you want to go Mm -hmm. for a run. And and it's a really great great way to feel like you have home away from home. Mm. So, yeah, I do. I do love to do that. So I would say signing up for races and, you know, that's certainly no low cost. So doing a couple destination races and maybe a new pair of shoes and I'm pretty set. Nice. Well, thanks so much for taking time with us and sharing with us, Allison. Thank you, guys. I've had a blast. Good. I have too. All right. So, Tish, have you found a favorite running store there in Savannah? I have found a really, really nice running store in Savannah. It's called Fleet Feet. But I got to tell you, talking to these two makes me want to travel around the country and go to all the different running stores. (laughs) It brings me back to the days of when Dimity and I were promoting our second book, Train Like a Mother, when we would have parties at running stores. And yeah, it's, so fun. Yeah, so we got to see uh, quite a number of them around the country. And, and it is interesting how, how they're different. But I just thought that both of them, I just really hope that this episode has brought down the barriers that people might have built up in their heads about not being able to go into a running store, because I think they can be such amazing resources for gear, advice, you know, all the things that Allison was talking about, particularly there at the end. Yeah, both of these sound like really warm environments, inclusive environments. Yes. So um, yes. we should all go. Yes, yes. And foot traffic carries another mother runner gear. So there you go. <laughs> all right. Well, we hope you're going to register for Joy to the Run, our month-long free Keep You Moving program in December. The programming kicks off on December 1st, otherwise known as next week, as you listen to this episode. There are clever, spirited workouts, either running or walking and strength training. There's a private Facebook group, so there's great community support and encouragement. Plus, we have some amazingly cute merch that is selling out very quickly. Sign up for this free, yes, free program by going to anothermotherrunner.com slash 
joy 2022 again that url anothermotherrunner.com slash joy 2022 our podcast today was produced in st paul minnesota by barry medora from fire on the bluff <laughs>